Well, welcome to the Lighthouse Church. Thank you for being with us today. We welcome all of our guests that are with us here in person and uh, those that are watching us online. We have people watching us today from Israel, from Ecuador, from Liverpool, from Pakistan, from Kuala Lumpur. I am telling you, people are watching all over the world and God is doing something great. God's doing something great. Amen. Amen. So we welcome all of our guests that are with us today. Uh, I wanted to uh, take a moment, and uh, Pastor Helmuth has been doing the announcements the last few weeks, but I wanted to do them today. Um, there was a couple of things I wanted to just bring to your attention um, and, uh, and just talk to you about. Uh, and so I asked if I could do that. Well, I didn't ask. I just said I'm doing the announcements today. Um, but, uh, but we want to remind you that the food bank is open today, every Sunday from 12 to 2 o'clock, uh, right after service. And uh, we want you to take advantage of this ministry. This is a great ministry. And uh, you can get there, just go right out the main doors to the left, and it's over in the corner of the building. Our Monday night prayer group meets every Monday night at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. If you are available to and you are able to, we encourage you to come and be a part of that prayer night. Uh, if you can't make it, pray where you're at at 7 o'clock. And uh, you don't have to be in the building. It's good if you can be, but if you can't, that's okay. Pray where you're at. Pray at home with your family. Uh, if you're on your job, maybe try to take your break at 7 o'clock and uh, pray for a little bit. Or if you're driving, set an alarm and, and pray uh, at that time if you're able to. Our Wednesday night gathering will be resuming this Wednesday night. And uh, looking forward to kicking off the fall. And uh, some of you are saying, Pastor, we're still in summer. Don't get rid of summer yet. We're not getting rid of summer yet. We're still summer here and summer there. But, um, but we want you all here, if you can be. Summer is still here, but we are jumping back into the fall very quickly. And so our Wednesday night gathering uh, will be starting back up this week at 6.30. And this is what I wanted to talk to you about and just encourage you that if you're available to be here, please be here for Wednesday nights. We are changing our Wednesday night format a little bit. We will still start at 6.30, but we're going to begin at 6.30 with prayer. And we're going to pray together for about 15 to 20 minutes or so. And then we're going to have worship. And, uh, and then right around, I'm not going to tell you what time because some of y'all may not come till that time. But we're going to have prayer, we're going to have worship, and then we're going to have some teaching. And, uh, and this will be between 6.30 and 7.30. Now if the Lord moves and, and we want him to take his time, we may go past 7.30. So for those of you that you are time sticklers and you say, Pastor, it's 7.30, time to go home. Well, you can leave if you need to, but we will just teach through. But uh, we'll continue that kind of 6.30 to 7.30 uh, on Wednesday nights. And we are calling this the Wednesday Gathering. So some have said... Wednesday night Bible study, midweek service, here, there. Just everybody is on the same page, the Wednesday gathering. We're going to have prayer, worship, and then we're going to get into the Word. And uh, we've got some great speakers and ministers and teachers over the next few weeks. And uh, looking forward to hearing from these voices and uh, these men and women of God. And so I hope that you will join us every Wednesday night if you can. The live stream will not be live on Wednesday until the speaker comes to the, pul to the pulpit or to the podium or the, the stand, whatever we have uh, that night for the speaker. So if you look for Wednesday night Bible study online and at 6.30 it's not there, just wait a little longer or come be with us in person. And, uh, and it's a great time together. And I, I do want to say I appreciate our prayer team. Um, we did take the, the, the month of July off for Wednesday nights. Um, of course, I was out of town. Many people were traveling. Many, many people were at camp, different things that uh, are just our Wednesday nights. But I appreciate our prayer team. They took it upon themselves to come on Wednesdays and pray as well. So they prayed on Mondays and Wednesdays. And, uh, and while I was, I told you last week, I sat on the side of a mountain waiting for God to speak to me. And I just kept talking and didn't give him the opportunity. And it wasn't until uh, after Sunday service I was just home and I was sitting in my backyard and I just felt God speak to me and say we need more prayer and I said well duh thanks God give me a revelation and he goes I just did you need more prayer we need more prayer revival started at a prayer meeting the church started at a prayer meeting 
And so I didn't want to take away from Monday night prayer. That's still going to stay, but I wanted to add prayer into our Wednesday night as well. And, uh, and if you can't make one or the other, pick one, come to one. Uh, if you can make both, great. But Wednesday night gathering, if you can be here for that, please be here for that. That starts this Wednesday night. Next Sunday, uh, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, we are excited to have our Pastor Emeritus bringing us the word next Sunday. Pastor Helmuth will be speaking next Sunday. And uh, thankful for this man. He's here for about another month or so before he travels back down south. And we're going to pray for deliverance for that, Brother Helmuth. We, we need you and Sister Rita up here. We need you here. But uh, he's here for about another month or so, and I wanted to make sure that we heard him preach before he left. And so he'll be ministering next Sunday morning. And uh, Pastor will be here. I will be here, but I asked Pastor Helmuth to speak. And so uh, tell one, tell all, bring him in, and let's get him saved. Amen? Amen. Let's get into the word of the Lord today. I, uh, I was thinking about some different things over the last couple of weeks on kind of where, where we are at. And, um, and, and one thing I was thinking about is kind of where I was last year at this point. And my health was not very good. And, and I realized that in my, in my health not being good, that something needed to happen. I needed to get my health in, in better uh, condition than what it was. And, and so right before I jumped into that, I had COVID and I was then down for the count. And one thing I remember my doctor telling me when I had COVID was you can't just lay there. You have to get up. You have to move if, as much as you can. If it's for two minutes, if it's for five minutes, whatever you can do, get up, walk, move, do something. Stay away from people, but walk and do something. And, and I started to think about this week of where I was then and, and how the more that we sit, the more that we lay down, the more that our body begins to fall apart. We have to move in order to stay alive. Our walk with God is also a continual progression. Or it should be a continual progression. If we are not moving, then we are becoming stagnant. And there's one thing that I have learned about being stagnant. Is when you become stagnant, you begin to stink. Has anybody ever been out into a pond or to a part of a lake that the water was just stagnant? The lily pads begin to grow, the fungus begin to grow, the, the mold on, on the docks begin to grow, and, and, and that just that area of the pond or that area of a lake or, or a swamp, it just smells, and it becomes stagnant. You see, God did not save us to put us up on a shelf and to keep us there until He returned to retrieve us. God didn't do that. God didn't come to this earth Dying a cross for you, you come and make your way to an altar or wherever you found the Lord for you to become a relic. God saved us so that every day we could become more and more like Him and in the process bring a lost and dying world to the cross. Every day that that goes by that we are not moving forward is a day that we are regressing in our relationship with God. We must continually move if we are to be in God's will. Can somebody say amen? Now preach with me today, okay? I want to preach to you today settled on our dregs. And that's not a spelling error. How many of you, ever, how many of you know what a dreg is? Fantastic. I get to teach you something today. Settled on our dregs. We cannot sit still. We have to move. And for those Bible scholars that are in the house, you might tell me this morning, well, David said, I shall be like a tree planted by the water and I shall not be moved. Well, he did say that. But he didn't mean moved from that place. He meant it, I will not be moved from my commitment with God. He said in another place, Psalms 30 and 6, when God was trying to move him into a new anointing, he was happy where he was at. He said, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. You see, David was in prosperity and he said, hey, I'm living good. I shall never be moved. But then God moved him. And he realizes the error of his way. And, and in Psalms 10 and 6, the Bible says, he, the fool, hath said in his heart. David wrote this. He was talking about himself. 
He said, I was a fool because I said in my heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go through adversity in this life. You can win that billion dollar jackpot right now, but you're still going to go through adversity. I had somebody yesterday, nobody from this church, but somebody texted me yesterday. They were at the gas station and they said, hey, I'm getting this lottery ticket. You want some of this? And I said, no, I like the money I have. I want to keep it. I don't want to, you know, whatever. And he goes, all right, well, just so you know, if I win, I'm not tithing to your church. I said, are you going to tithe to your church? He goes, I don't know. I haven't told my pastor yet I'm doing this. And I said, oh, my goodness. So I called my dad and I told him about his saints. And so... You see, even if you were to win that jackpot, you're going to face adversity because, like, like Pastor Helmut just said, somebody that you didn't even know is going to be related to you coming out of the woodwork going, hey, remember that time 28 years ago when I let you borrow five bucks to get the snow cone and the, the elephant ear at the fair? The fair's going on this week. I know some of y'all about to go broke this week. I'm sending my kids up to my parents so when we go, we're not buying all snow cones and lemonades and elephant ears. And... But even in adversity or even when you're doing fine, you will go through adversity. David realized that when God was ready to move, some of you need to understand this, that when God is ready to move, He's going to move whether you're with Him or not. David didn't want to move and he realized that God was ready, I wasn't, I'm the fool. You see, God is a moving God. Another Bible scholar can tell me after church, well, pastor, the Bible also said to be still and know that I am God. Yes, God said that. But every time God has told His people to be still, it was only because He was trying to open a door in front of them. And it was soon after the door was open, He said, now you can move forward. He made them stand still while he parted the Red Sea. And then he said, go forward. God made them walk around a mountain for a few days while he prepared a road through the nations. And he said, okay, you've come past this mountain long enough. Now go northward. He told the Israelites to be still while he fought the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the children of Mount Seir. But then he said, now you move in and you recover the spoils. I'm telling you that God is never pleased when we find a plateau that we like. And we sit there while he's trying to get us to move forward. Have you ever been shopping on the day after Thanksgiving? And all the crazies come out. Have you ever been at Walmart and you're waiting for them to rip the, the plastic off of the, 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 the skid that's there so that you can start grabbing those Black Friday deals? And the person that's in front of you is not as excited about that deal as you are. And you're trying to get that pillow that is normally $45, it's only $32. And you're trying to get that down pillow. And that person is just standing there watching everything and you're saying, move out of the way. I got to get this pillow for $9 less than what I would normally pay. You want people to move. God is saying, hey, you got to this place Stop stopping. Keep moving. He's not pleased when we find a place and we just say, okay, I think this is good. I like the view from here. I'm going to settle here. God is a moving God. In Genesis 1 and 1 and 2, the very first scripture, scriptures in the Bible, in the beginning, this is how creation is described. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Nothing happened until God moved. He created the heavens. He created the earth. The earth was without form. It was void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Nothing else was going on until the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And from the first day that God moved upon the face of the waters, God has not stopped moving. 
When Jesus was on the earth, He was continually moving. He would rest from time to time, but He was continually moving from place to place, from victory to victory, from mountaintop to mountaintop. He said, or Matthew tells us in 14 and 14, Jesus went forth, He saw a great multitude, and He was moved with compassion toward them, and He healed their sick. Well, Pastor, you can break that verse down and say, well, He was moved with compassion. It stirred His emotion. He moved. Yes, but God could have just stood there and just watched it. But he was moved to do something. God was moving. And he's not there. In Luke, Luke said, or Luke recorded these words. Jesus said, nevertheless, I must walk today and I must walk tomorrow and the day following because it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. I'm sure they asked him, Jesus, where are you going? What are you doing, Jesus? This is a great place to start a church. Okay, then start a church. Well, 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 we're not experienced. Neither was I. Start a church. Start a prayer meeting. Where are you going, Jesus? Well, I have to walk. I have to walk today. I'm going to have to walk tomorrow. And the next day, I have to move. I have to progress. I can't get comfortable where I'm at. I can't settle here. I have to walk. Jesus was always moving. He rested, but he moved. He'd rest, and he would move. We need rest, ladies and gentlemen. If you are constantly moving and going six different ways from here till sundown, you are going to burn yourself out. You need to take time to rest. But in your relationship with God, there is not time to rest. I have heard many people, and I've, I've worked with many people, I've counseled with many people who have went through a trial in their life, and they said, Pastor, they were involved in the church, Pastor, I, just, I need a break for, for a few months and a few weeks, and you know what, that's great. And all of a sudden, they stopped coming to church, and I said, hey, where are you? Why haven't you been at church? What's going on? Well, I told you I needed a break. Yes, a break from maybe what you were doing, but not a break from God. If we took a break from God every time we were burned out, We'd be in trouble. We cannot take a break from God. If we're not moving, we're not in the will of God. If we're in the same place spiritually that we were 20 years ago, something is wrong. God forgive us if the sin of complacency and settleness settles into us. We have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that God may not be moving in 2022 the same way He moved in 62 or 82 or 2002. It may be different for you. I talked about that a little bit last week. Some of you got saved under the hymns and the spiritual songs, and that's all you like. That's okay. But God also said, sing a new song. David told us, sing a new song unto the Lord. There's some songs. We were listening yesterday to the radio, and these we were listening to uh, uh, the message or, or, or whatever it is. On, on I like Southern Gospel on my radio station. When my wife gets in my truck... The first thing she does is turn it off the Southern Gospel. I said, what are you doing? She goes, I, I can't. I, I love Southern Gospel, but it's all that you ever listen to. Listen to some newer music. I said, you know, I will when I want to. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of all new music. There's some things in there. I got I to gotta just dip my toe in the water a little bit and go, eh, I'm not quite ready for that yet. Maybe in a, maybe in a few months or so. I'll be honest, I love the old songs. I love the, I love the hymns. You open up a hymnal and you just tell me the song. And, and nine times out of ten, I can sing that song because that's what I grew up in. When we moved to Battle Creek, well, well when we were in, in Louisville, Kentucky, I posted a video this week. Some of you have seen it on my Facebook of my grandmother leading our choir. I tell you, we had brass instruments. We had accordions. We had organ we had piano we had keyboards we had drums we had percussion we even had a steel guitar in our choir y'all we had a banjo player in our choir and not like not like that I mean this guy could pick it and get with it he played that steel guitar he played that banjo and I tell you we had church but when we moved to Battle Creek we had a grand piano that Sister Robbie played. Sister Robbie was, I think, in her early 70s when we came to Battle Creek. We had two accordion players, Sister Rosetta Cushman and Sister Alma Chadwick. They were both about two years younger than God. 
Sweet ladies, and they could cook. I tell you, they could cook. They could cook. They were our two accordion players. Brother Ray Rice was our acoustic guitar player. Brother Rice was about, I don't know, I think he was 78 when I met him 20 some odd years ago. And he was in his 90s, I think, when he passed away. He was, I tell you, our, our musicians, ladies and gentlemen, had played for almost 50 years in that church. Or it seemed like it at least. We didn't have drums. My great-grandmother played the organ. We had an organ, we had a grand piano, we had a guitar player and two accordions. And we didn't sing anything unless it was out of the brown hymnal. That's what we sang. That's what I grew up on. But there came a time that we had to then progress and we had to add some drums. We had to add a bass player. We had to add an electric guitar player. Sister Cushman passed away. Sister Chadwick passed away. Sister, Sister Bilbury passed away. We had to get new life on the piano and new life. Uh, well, we didn't bring the accordions back, but we put new life on the guitar. And we put, and, and that's just because nobody knew how to play them. But, but we had to bring new life. And the music began to change and the worship kind of began to change. And how many of you, I don't know if you all ever did this here, but when you sang, Oh, when the saints go marching in, did you do a victory march around your church? We did. Every time. And all the young people would look at each other. You going to start? You going to start? I want to start. No, you started last week. You going to start? You going to. And we do a victory march around the church. And it wasn't, if somebody, if it was the third verse and nobody was marching, God wasn't there that day. God was taking a break. And somebody would elbow somebody, go and march. I don't want to march. And my mom would, my mom eventually was on the organ. She'd go, go, get marching, get marching, get marching. And I'd go, yes, ma'am. And I'd just get marching. And we'd march. Eventually the marching around stopped. Why? Because we stopped singing, oh, when the saints go marching in. And we started singing new songs and we had new songs that we would march around with. We had different things. We used to run the aisles and we used to dance and we used to shout. And a lot of that's changed because the music has changed. God is still moving, but not the way that we were used to. And sometimes when God doesn't move the way that we want Him to, we feel like He's not moving and then we don't move. How many of you ever told your kids when you were trying to get them to try something new, just try it? You'll like it. And I don't want to try it. And they're already like gagging before they even chew it. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You need to try some things with God. Don't try God. <laughs> but try to let Him into your spirit. Try to let Him do a new thing. Try to get, don't get stuck in a rut, ladies and gentlemen. You see, God would sometimes always heal, or, or we say when God healed, it was He healed them physically. But you know, God would heal with a word. God would heal with a touch. God even took some mud, and I'm not going to do it this morning. I'm not going to make an example with anybody. God took some mud, spit in His hand, and wiped it on somebody's eyes. Let me tell you something. If you ever spit in your hand and walk near my eyeballs, you're getting a hand coming right back at you before you get close to me. But God healed. I can see just fine. I've got, you know, glasses. And I'm fine with these. Don't anybody try to heal me of, of my, my vision. I'm good with glasses. I look better with glasses. We were talking this morning in the praise team, and I said, you know, if I was Lazarus, I'd be, I'd be a pretty upset guy. Could you imagine Lazarus had, had died, been buried? He's living in heaven. He's enjoying paradise. And all of a sudden... Hey, Lazarus. Yeah, who's there? Um, it's, it's, it's one of the angels. Can you come to the door? Hey, what's going on? Hey, really sorry to do this to you. Um, we don't do this a whole lot, but God's calling you back to earth. We need you to go back. Listen, if I die, let me die. Don't bring me back to this place. Let me live in paradise. But God didn't do things the way that we always want Him to do. God even healed somebody by not even touching them or speaking to them. It was his clothes. That woman touched the hem of his garment. But he never got stuck in a rut. 
He never got comfortable with any one way of doing things. We have to be moving. We must walk. So many of us get settled into a rut and we refuse to let God move into us or into another vessel, into another anointing, into another situation. And we become like Job when he said, I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. The way that we felt God a decade ago is not necessarily the way that we'll feel him today. You look at Peter when he and Jesus were in the boat, or, or Jesus was out, and, and Peter said, Okay, I see, I see you there, and I'm, I'm good. And, and he began to walk out, and, 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 and he got comfortable, and he, he looked away from Christ. Sometimes the moving process is going to be painful, it's natural to fight. My wife and I have, have a saying that. When people get into issues and circumstances with each other, with themselves, or with a job, it's either flight or fight. Everybody. You're either going to flight or you're going to fight. You're going to fight for what you believe in. You're going to fight for it. You're going to fight with somebody. Or you're going to flight. You're going to fly away. You're going to run away from the issue. You're going to run away from the problem. Flight or fight. When we get into trouble and we get with God and God's not always answering our questions... And God's not always doing exactly what we need him to do. We either flight or we fight. We run away from God and we figure we can do it on our own. Or you know what? We just need to fight with God sometimes and say, God, hey, I'm standing here and I'm not moving until you bless me. God, I'm not going to stop praying until I see something from this. I'm not going to quit praying until I see my family saved. I'm not going to quit praying until I get the job that I need. Not always that I want. I remember growing up, I had a teacher that told me, and some of y'all know this, find the job that, that, that you love doing and you'll never work a day in your life. Y'all, I still have not found a job that I love doing every single day. I love being a bus driver. It's great. But there are days, ladies and gentlemen, that some of y'all kids, and you know who you are. They're mostly my kids. But... I, I, even, I even wrote my kids up one day on the bus. They said, you can't do this. I said, why not? They said, we're your kids. I said, not when you're on this bus, you ain't. They never did it again either. I tell you what, that parent conversation on the way home, that was something else. When your parent starts talking to themselves about you, you know that something's wrong. They said, dad, you're crazy. I said, I know, you made me this way. And Jay said, well, you made me, so it came from somewhere. God wants to move us. God wants to do something in us. We can't fight it. But when we don't allow God to move in us, we will never be what he wants us to be. God develops us in stages. He develops us in different places and in different phases different methods, but it's all for the same purpose. It's for the perfecting of the saints. You know, it's not, us, it's not for us to judge people who come into the church that come in brand new and haven't been around this a whole lot, a whole lot uh, of their life. And for some of us that we've been around this all of our life, we know how to act right. But do we? Not always. I, I heard somebody say, you know, if we could just, if we could get past the point of getting people to look right so they can be on the platform, then I think we'd be okay. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, there's too many churches that are trying to get people to look a certain way so that they can use them here and there, use them here. But in their heart, they're as wicked as a witch. I'd rather somebody love God with all their heart and look like they just came off the street or something than somebody that looks like they got it all together, but they're going to stab you in the back the first time you turn around. God develops all of us in different phases and in different stages. My mission in life is not to tell you how to dress. It's not to tell you how to live. I can give you help I can give you guidelines that that I live by I can give you the word that I live by but your salvation is between you and God I'll tell you I, I, I want you to live right 
I want you to live holy. I want you to live a pleasing life acceptable unto God. I want you to, to dress modestly. And, and, and look, what, what, you got, what you got under your clothes is your business between you and your spouse, not the rest of the world. Pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, if your spouse is uncomfortable with you dressing the way that you do in public, man or woman, you probably need to change a little bit. That's modesty. Modesty is not making somebody stumble over what you're doing. And it's more than just clothes, ladies and gentlemen. It's modesty in our living. Modesty and how we spend our money. Modesty in how we eat our food. It's more than just clothes. I don't know why I'm on this right now and I'm trying to get out of this hole that I'm just digging. But I feel like somebody needs to hear it this morning. If we really want God to develop us, and we really want God to develop this church, we have to understand that God is constantly moving. And God is constantly working in us. Let's, here's, look, we're just going to get the ladder out, and I'm going to climb out of this. I want to go to Jeremiah 48. I'm going to tell you about the dregs. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. And cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Moab hath been at ease from his youth. He'd been lazy, is what the Bible's saying. He has settled on his dregs. Hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither hath he gone into captivity. He hadn't, Moab hasn't faced any issues in his life. Everything's been handed to him. Therefore his taste... Remained in him. Anybody ever been hit so hard with life that it slapped the taste right out of your mouth? Moab still had his taste. If you ever had COVID, you know what I'm talking about. And his scent is not changed. Now this text, without any context, can be a little cryptic. It's strange to us because we really don't understand the process here. He's talking about the perfection of wine. Let me show you today what God was referring to when he was talking about Moab. When the early winemakers would make wine, they would press the grapes. They would then add the necessary ingredients and they would put it into a vessel. During this process, the particular vessel, it would, it, all of the dregs or the leaves, the leaves from the grapes would then settle at the bottom of this vessel. The winemaker would take that wine that had become settled and he would strain it into another vessel, retaining the dregs or the lees. And it pouring wine was the pure into the next vessel. He would allow it to sit for about a month or so and again pour the wine into another vessel. It was constantly moving and he was constantly pulling the dregs. And the process would be repeated several times, as many times as it took for this wine to get rid of the dregs or the lees that would make it bitter or it would affect the taste in any type of way. Now it didn't matter what kind of, uh, to the winemaker whether the wine had become comfortable in its current vessel. He knew that the wine was to reach its full potential and what it wanted to be, he had to keep it moving. Sometimes the, the wine would be left in the vessel for too long and it would settle on the dregs. It would settle on the lees. In other words, the dregs would become such a part of the wine that in effect it ruined the taste. It would smell good, but it tasted bad. It was what you kept to give the guest after the good wine was gone. It had already kicked in. Now they won't know the difference. Let's give them the bad wine. It looked good, it smelled good, but if you really knew the taste, you knew that it would set in that same container for too long. And God said, this is what happened to Moab. Moab would not allow me to pour him from container to container, so he settled on his dregs, and he smells good, the color is good, but the taste remains bitter. Y'all ever met a Christian like that, that they look good, they look the part, but oh, they are bitter. 
You see, that's where I, let me go back here just a few moments. That's what I'm talking about. I'd rather have somebody who loves God with all their heart. They're doing their best to live right. They're doing their best to live like Christ. And they may not look like a classical Pentecostal or, 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 or a modern whatever, but, but they are loving God with everything that they have. He smells good. The color is good, but his taste is bitter. Moab got comfortable when there was so much more for him. Mom and dad did everything for him. He never tasted bitterness. He never, he never was able to handle anything on his own. And what a sad commentary that from his youth, God says that Moab was lazy. And he was slothful. He won't bring the sword out to fight for the Lord because he wouldn't allow himself to to be moved. Ladies and gentlemen, there is danger in contentment. There is danger in contentment. Moab was born as the result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And the Bible says that from his youth, Moab had a life of ease. Mom and dad made everything easy for him, or, or mom or dad, and he never had adversity in his life. He had things the way that he wanted, and if he didn't get the things that he wanted, he would have thrown a fit. I read this morning, I still read the Sunday morning newspaper comics. I do. I remember as a kid, that was every Sunday morning, my papa would bring the newspaper to church, he'd give me the comic section. And I'd get to read it. This morning, I read, and it was Dennis the Menace, and I wish I would have had the graphic here. But, but Dennis's dad comes to him, and he says, Dennis, what's the word that you use to get what you want? And of course, we're all going to say, please. Dennis responded with, I'm offended. You know, there's a lot of people in this world right now, especially in America, that are getting what they want because they just have to say, I'm offended. You offended me. Well, what do you want from me? You should apologize. Is that really what you want? Because after I do that, are you really going to be happy? You see, Moab got whatever he, he wanted. What did he do? Was he offended? Did he throw a fit? Did he stomp his feet? Let me give you some parenting advice for new parents. Don't give in to your kids when they're throwing a fit in the middle of the store because they want something. Sorry, I shouldn't tell you how to parent. Let me tell you how I parent my kids just in case they're with you. If my kids are ever throwing a fit in the middle of a store, you have every right to take them outside and tan their hide. Call me before you do, though, just so I know the context of, the, of what's happening. But Moab got what he wanted. He would get his way. He never had adversity. He never had problems. Never had to do anything that made him uncomfortable. And when God then tried to work with him, he adopted the same attitude. He said, oh no, God, you're not moving me. I'm happy in the vessel that I'm in. I've gotten used to this vessel. It's very nice. You're not going to change me because I'm happy where I'm at. Moab was content. And I understand today that godliness with contentment is a great gain. But contentment with what I have materially is much different than being content in my walk with God. If you want God to bless you with your materials, be content with what you have. If you want God to bless you, don't be content in your walk with Him. I never want to be content, and I never should be content in my walk with God. God is a moving God, and we must be a moving people. There are things that God needs to get out of our lives, and it can only happen if we allow ourselves to be moved out of our comfort zone. The day that we refuse to let God pour us from vessel to vessel is the day that we begin to settle on our dregs, and we begin to become bitter. The day we refuse to let God move us from place to place is the day we begin to get stagnant and we lose our usefulness. The day that we refuse to let God move us from our comfort zone to an uncomfort zone is the day that things that will defile us will stay in our lives and eventually destroy us. Look, it's possible to look good. It's possible to smell good but still have things that's hidden in our hearts that defile us and will ultimately destroy us. It's possible for us to have the outward appearance of good wine, but have sediment and bitterness inside that causes us to be useless to God. You can fancy up a restaurant all you want, 
The only, the only thing that I'm worried about, I'm not worried about what the sign looks like. I'm not worried about how modern it looks like. I'm not worried about what the menu looks like. The only sign that I'm worried about at that restaurant is the one that's by the door that has a letter on it that says A, B, C, or D. Michigan doesn't have a lot of those. They don't require them to put it by the door. You go out west, every restaurant you walk into, there's a letter on that door. And I'm maybe it's just me and I'm, you know, I don't know, bougie or whatever you want to call me. But I don't go in anything less than a B. Because if there's anything less than a B, that means that they've got mice. That means that they got bugs. They got me. I'm not worried about you. This restaurant could have no major sign up on it. It could have the worst looking menu. They could have a little stock card for a menu. But if that food tastes good and that sign on the door says A plus, you better believe I'm eating there. The lights could be out on the sign. Hey, if it's a good restaurant and the health department lets it stay open, I'm eating there. But there are times that you can go to a restaurant and boy, it's fancy. They got the fancy menus. They got the good looking sign. You get in there. Let me tell you, the, let me tell you if a barbecue restaurant is good, their mac and cheese is going to be out of this world. If you go to a barbecue restaurant and their mac and cheese is bland, get out. You're wasting your calories, you're wasting your points. I know something about barbecue, okay? Just let me help you out this morning. If you don't hear anything else, I tell you. Never judge a restaurant based on its barbecue. Base it on its mac and cheese. Some of y'all are going to go somewhere today and go, hey, let me try your mac and cheese. Don't tell them that I said their restaurant was bad. Let me do that, okay? Let me speak for myself if I go there, but. Let's get out of this today. Let's, let's close. I want to go to Matthew chapter 26. We can't be stagnant. And if there's any story, I'm not, I don't try to emotionally blackmail people from the pulpit. If I ever have, I apologize. I, my goal as a pastor and anyone that steps behind this pulpit is never, should never be to emotionally blackmail somebody. But boy, if there's a story that wants me to live right and live for God, it's this one. Jesus came with them unto a place called Gethsemane. He's with the disciples. He said unto the disciples, he said, sit here while I go and I pray yonder. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then he saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here. And watch with me. And he went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus knows that he's about to go and be crucified. He knows that his time on this earth has come to an end. And he says, if it be possible, let this pass from me. After he finished praying, he comes back, verse 40 says, unto the disciples, and he found them asleep. He woke up Peter, and he said unto Peter, he said, what are you doing? Could you not watch with me for one hour? He said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Watch and pray, Peter, so you won't enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus went away again the second time and he prayed saying, Oh my father, if this, may, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. He said, if this is the only way, then thy will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. But this time he left them. He went away again and he prayed the third time saying the same words. And he came back to his disciples. And he said unto them, sleep on and take your rest. The hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Jesus was going to pray. He wanted the disciples to watch and pray with him. 
But they couldn't do it because they were tired. They were wore out from a journey. They have been following God for a long time and they've seen Him heal the blind. They've seen Him raise the dead. They've seen Him take some fish and some loaves and feed the thousands of people. And they had become comfortable with what they had seen. And they had become pleased and they had become content with where they were at with God. You see, being in God's presence became the norm for the disciples. And so when God asked them to pray, I'm sure it was just another service. It was just another prayer meeting. It was just another Wednesday night gathering. It was just another youth service. It was just another potluck. It was just another fellowship. And they said, there's going to be more. We don't, let's just, let's take time. Let's rest. Some of them probably thought we'll do it later or we can do it when we wake up. And, and right now though, we're so tired because we've been with him and we've been working with him, we've been preaching with him, we've been ministering with him. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be times where God is going to convict you like he did the disciples and he's going to say, it's time to wake up. And he's going to begin to say, hey, can you just pray with me a little longer? I need you to pray with me a little bit. I need you to help me out a little bit. I need you to wake up. Saints of God, let me tell you today and plead with you today that don't get comfortable where you're at. Lest you spiritually fall asleep at your post. We need some saints of God that will man the post that they have been commissioned to. We need you to continue to press toward the mark. Well, pastor, nobody's perfect. Absolutely not. Nobody is perfect. So then we shouldn't get comfortable with where we're at with God. Jesus tells the disciples on the third time, sleep on. See, Jesus is going to keep moving. Jesus is going to keep pressing forward. And whether you're on the train or not, he's going to keep moving. Yeah, he's going to give you a tug. He's going to say, hey, come on, let's go. We're, we're moving. All right, God, we're moving. And then we fall off the train or we fall asleep or we lay down. And God says, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. Get back on, let's go. Oh, okay. But eventually there's going to come a time where God is going to tell us just to sleep on. Have you ever been woken up unexpectedly by something that scared you out of your mind? I've had a lot in the last several years. As I get older, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what. But as I get older, things wake me up in the middle of the night. And I can't go back to sleep till I go check it out. Mostly because my wife won't let me. What was that noise? I don't know. Go back to sleep. It was one of the kids. Go check it out. Okay. But I'll tell you what. There's nothing worse than when you are sleeping so good. You've had a long day of working out in the sun. And you finally get to rest at night. And you go to sleep. And you think, oh, it's 8 o'clock. I'm going to bed. Don't have to be up for another 12 hours. And before you know it, that alarm clock goes off and you thought, I just went to sleep. Why? God, is it so early? I remember there was one time, one time in my life, never happened again. But one time in my life, my parents told my brother to come wake me up. He came down, he opened that door and he said, Austin, it's time to get up. I said, yeah, okay, all right, I'm, I'm getting up. Came back a second time. He said, Austin, it's time to get up. I said, okay, fine. I threw a pillow at him. You know, get out of my room. Get out of my room. You know, I think I was about that age. And uh, the third time, my brother came in with a bucket of water. It's the last time he ever did it, but he did it. And he woke me up. Now, some of y'all know my brother, and you think he would never. Yes, he would. It woke me up, and I was so mad. I got up out of bed. I was so upset. Then I realized the time, and then I was really mad, but not at him, but mad at myself. I was late for practice at church. I was late to pick somebody up to get to church. I don't want God to ever wake me up with a bucket of water. And then I realized that it's too late. Ladies and gentlemen, 
never let God tell you to sleep on. You could find yourself flat on your face looking around saying, what happened to my life? I never planned for my life to be like this. I never planned for, for my life to end up like this. I never planned for this to happen. What happened? I was just taking a little break from church. I was just taking a little break. I just needed a rest. And Don't become stagnant. Don't get comfortable. Don't settle on the dregs. Let's stand together this morning. I wonder if there's some people today in this house that will come to this altar and ask God to renew your passion. Is there anybody today that will ask God for a fresh anointing today? I open this altar to you. I don't want to coast my way through, through life and with my walk with God, but I want to move forward. And I wonder if anybody today is ready to move forward. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, if you will, I want you to come to this altar. And let's begin just to worship God and begin to ask God to refill us with His presence. Lord, I thank You for this Word that You've given us today. Lord, I ask that in this house, Lord, that You would help us. Help us to wake up from our sleep that we have been in. Lord, that help us to find Your presence again. To find a fresh anointing with you today. Lord, you are so worthy of our glory. You're worthy of our honor to give to you. And so God, as we wake up every day, help us to remember that, that we've got to keep moving forward with you. We've got to keep moving forward in your presence. We've got to keep moving forward if we want to enter into your kingdom. God, you deserve glory every day. You deserve honor every day. And so, God, I want you to refill me with your presence. Refill me with a passion to serve you, to love you. Refill me with a desire to honor you and to worship you more than ever before. God, I ask today that this church is not a church that's stagnant, that's not content with our walk with you, but God, let us be a church that is moving forward with you and in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Hallelujah. Come on, make that commitment today.